Tommy, I'm happy to uh, to see that you're feeling better and that you're returning yeah. to the show. Uh, welcome back, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. How are you doing, Mr. Finley? I am doing well. Um, uh. Yeah, I don't have a, a ramp up here. I think um, maybe we should just start talking about, uh, unless you have one, Tom. Let me throw it over to you. I apologize. I, I think uh, today's going to be a little triggering for Tom, but I think we should let's just uh, let's just get into this. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. That's Mister Arbuckle to you, buddy. Hey, right? I was uh, really no fat shaming the dead. Yeah, I was. Um, uh, I've been looking forward to doing this guy for a long time, and yet I, mm -hmm. up until now, I have not investigated any of his films. Really, I didn't know anything. I had never watched his films before. How, how yeah, uh, same same here actually, and uh, again, always had a bit of the fascination for it. But honestly, I you know other silent film stars kind of came up you know before him, but I'm glad we got to him when we did here. So we still got a bunch of those others to get to. Yeah, no question about it. You know, like Keaton and such. I really want to get into Harold Lloyd at some point, but uh, yeah. this is a really uh, this is a good idea on your part. Buddy. And Rudolph uh, Valentino, I was thinking about this morning too. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, because I was thinking, well, we've done a few silent film stars, so so we um, we uh, did one on uh, Lois Weber, we um, uh, half an episode on Clara Bow's The It Girl, Desmond um, Norman, uh, Desmond Normand, who? Wait a minute. Norma Desmond? Norma Desmond. <laughs> yeah, but we never did her. Um, uh, that's a good suggestion, though. Um, we did, uh, one on, um, uh, something may, is it Anna, Anna May Wong? Her, that, right. the, the, one of the films was, uh, that. So we've done a few, but you know, we've, um, early on we, we, um, we had an episode and this is, I think a mistake and it, we wanted to sort of stretch out. And so we did, um, who did I just mention? Oh, Lois Weber and Mabel Norman in one episode. And mm -hmm. I now understand how they each really deserve their own episodes. And maybe we should do something like that on Patreon at some point. Um, and Mabel Norman, I think, is worth talking about today at some point because of her clear connection to Mr. Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, yeah. Big salad talking, buddy. Say it again? That's big salad, man. The hating on the fat man. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, so... So um, this guy is... Um, this is the first uh, uh, comedic uh, male comedic film star is he not i mean is that fair to say he precedes chaplin uh in a way um i mean i, I guess that is kind of fair to say i mean buster keaton came up but was kind of came up with him but 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 more like had his career afterwards yeah i would say that's fair to say My, i think didn't fatty arbuckle also like invent the cream pie i didn't know about that as far as like a comedic, uh, yeah, cream a comedic pie in the crowd. face. No, I didn't know about that. I I, th I was just uh, attributed that to the um, the Keystone Cops, um, which is a, which know, he was they, he was part of their studio at one point. Keystone Studio, yeah, he joined Keystone yeah. Studio as a, as a, as an extra for mm -hmm. three dollars a day or something like that back in I want to say nineteen oh eight or something like that. But yeah, so it's like he's got, he mentored Chaplin. He didn't discover Chaplin, but he was definitely a mentor. And one of the stories I'd always heard about that was that Chaplin got the big saggy pants idea from Fatty. That Fatty said, try these on and it'll look kind of uh, quirky on you. Um, well, my understanding also is that he got a certain amount of the, uh, of the little tramp character also came uh, from uh, Stan Laurel, Laurel and Hardy. Okay, well, that's an interesting. Did Laurel and Hardy go back they, to the teens? They had teens? been in like an acting troupe in England back back in the day. But Laurel yeah, and Hardy hadn't hadn't worked together. They'd worked separately until the mid twenties, right? Had they had yeah. they appeared either one of them in films by the teens? Because we're. I don't think so. I don't think so. And like I said, I think uh, I think the, the Stan uh, Stan uh, worked with Chaplin back in vaudeville back in England. Oh, I see. So what you're I saying. don't know. That, I don't think they came over at the exact same time, or maybe they did, but. Yeah, it took them. It wasn't. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't pop at the same time. Yeah, and um, uh, Fatty Arbuckle uh, essentially discovered I, I Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton's in his his first film as a, a Fatty Arbuckle project called The Butcher Boy. Mm -hmm. um, and he also discovered in the mid twenties, um, while Fatty's career was um, on the decline for reasons we'll talk about later, he yeah. discovered Bob Hope. 
Bob Hope? Yes, I yeah. saw that. That was really fascinating. I had no idea. And Bob Hope was, I guess, originally kind of a dancer with his girlfriend. And, and uh, Fatty mm-hmm. sort of kind of set him onto this thing called Hurley's Jolly Follies in 1925. Well, Fatty and, like, I, I guess, again, sort of as the first major comedian of film, Fatty was definitely... Uh, Mr. Uh, Roscoe was definitely uh, taking the. It was all about moving vaudeville onto the screen, really, and that's that's really kind of what it was. So, obviously, Bob Hope he started off in vaudeville. That's that's where people like that, the you know, entertainers at that time period, started in vaudeville, and then they started making the transition onto the screen. But apparently, uh, Bob Hope wasn't even in vaudeville. He got to start in vaudeville itself from Fatty. Fatty put him onto this vaudevillian troupe, and the troupe discovered oh, that Bob Hope. That's interesting. Okay. Bob Hope could be a, a better funny man than a dancer. Mm-hmm. Bob Hope's got a weird story too. Apparently, he fell out of, a, out of a tree onto his face. That's why he has that face. There's some reconstructive surgery of the of in the early 20s that gave him that weird face that he has. Really? All okay. these people are so tragic, and part of it is also like <laughs> like the whole um, <laughs> medical science working for them. <laughs> Do you like that? Um, I, there's a series I used to love to watch. Uh, AJ Benson's like Hollywood scandals and mysteries, and it's like a lot of them were from people uh, in Fatty Arbuckle's time because. I, I think they lend themselves to the whole Hollywood Babylon because there's it's like telephone. There's so little information to go on that it's more spectacularly scandalous uh, to talk yes. about those people, you know, whoever they well, are. It's also, and also, let's, well, fuck, okay, we're, get, we're in terrible danger of getting into the scandal at this point, but, but I just want to point out, like, the whole thing goes against a backdrop of, of America, like, having one of its, like, a major sort of, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like, a moral moralistic crusade going. So, but let's let's hold off on that for just a yeah minute. no I, that'll come up later on too for sure one of the one of the things that kind of struck me I have to say which is which is you've come you came up with what four like things for us to watch for this uh, three uh, shorts and a full length uh, movie it's we're kind of doing an unusual one here yeah uh, but but what I love is that Fetty Arbuckle mostly worked in shorts and he also was re- kind of ridiculously prolific yeah so any four things you pick out of him <laughs> it's it's a matter of what prints are available even. Yeah. Uh, and then at that point, it's, it's it's a little random, but 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 you know, I mean, the man's talent, I think, was kind of obviously what it was. Well, what, bro, do, you think, what do you think about him? A, a super self-starter, a natural. Um, he, he he got the name Roscoe, by the way, because. Um, he was a fat baby, and his both of his parents were thin, leading his father to conclude that his, <laughs> that his <laughs> he was illegitimate. And there was uh, a some sort of politician, Roscoe Conkley or Conklin or something of the time, who was a, a famous um, philanderer. And so the father, like as this little fuck you to his wife or to to his child, I'm not sure, named him Roscoe. Then the mother died. Roscoe came out at 13 pounds, is what I read. Oh, yeah. He's a big boy, but agile for sure. And that that really contributes to the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. He, uh, um, I guess... the mother died when he was 12, and the father's just like, okay, I'm done with you. So this this is how he becomes, you know, making a living on his own, going up to San Francisco and singing. Did you hear about his singing, by the way? Yeah, apparently he had a great voice. A Caruso told him to quit the <laughs> comedy thing so he could become a singer. That's kind of crazy. Uh, it's pretty fucking amazing. And then, of course, he gets into the silence. So who, yeah. you know, who would even know, right? <laughs> That's pretty nutty. Uh, it's freaking tragic. Yeah, yeah. So he has... But that was also another thing, too. I mean, like, those Vaudeville guys had to be really well-rounded characters in a lot of ways. I mean, later on, I think many of them... I mean, I guess once you're in for 10 years, you would learn a specialty, and that would kind of, like, be your thing or something Oh, I don't like know. That. It's but like an apprenticeship? You had to be able to play a lot of different games. I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, we see it today, I guess, in, like, sketch shows, etc. But we're talking real, like spin plates, sing, dance, and, do, and tell some jokes. Right. Yeah. yeah, you got to be like at least you know some kind of a crazy ass juggler or something like that at some point, and sing and blah blah. Yeah, you know George Burns, old sugar throat. He he definitely actually had a voice apparently. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, sugar throat. You were asking me what I think of him. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd like to flesh it out as I go along, but I would say um, initially I I felt a little disappointment. Um, but there's something really interesting about him that's different than the others. And it's mm-hmm. that, like, if you compare him to, let's let's say, Chaplin, who I consider to be a, a genius, going back, like, to yeah. the teens even. Chaplin is, like, um, very, very funny, very physical, um, and and but also, the, like, shades of, like, tragedy in his films. He wants to sort of balance those two things. 
Um, and it's all everything that's that's either tragic or funny is present in the, on the screen before you, right? Mm-hmm. But but thing about Fatty Arbuckle is um, half of what's funny is like in the writing, in the title cards, right? The right. Pro, the production sort of makes it more funny, and and he had a lot to do with that. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, mm-hmm. um, but also the tragedy the tragedy is not separate. Like he's definitely like whatever tragic thing is happening to Fatty is itself the funny thing, right? So I find I find him to be very fucking funny. I I, yeah. I, I in the end I was not disappointed, but it, it took me a while to, to adjust my expectations because I had been sort of stuck as like the contemporary is Chaplin and, and maybe Buster Keaton. No, that seems fair actually. I I, I honestly I uh, I have to admit um, I kind of approached it a little bit skeptically because I wasn't yep. sure what to expect in this in this event. Uh, and um, over time, he, he won me over. Absolutely. Yeah, and, that, and I think as classic as classic film nerd podcasters, it's like we don't want to fall prey to the like. Well, we must like Fatty. It's like I was willing to not like him, and yeah. and uh, but he won me over for sure. Um, and he did that thing too, which which is like he was. You, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, but uh, he was a big fucking dude. He was a yep. big dude. Like he's running about three hundred pounds, but he was crazily agile for that. Mm-hmm. Like he, he pulled off a couple of stunts that I was like, well, that, I had no idea how the fuck he pulled those off. Well, the, the, but com- it was impressive. The comparison is like you can go down the line, right? So it's like I find him in some ways um, to be comparable or like a forerunner to like. Um, Cramden uh, to Jackie Gleason. I think Jackie Gleason would have taken that as a compliment. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had maybe taken a couple of leaves out of that book a little bit. Um, but also Chris Farley in in, in a way uh, um, as well. Um, yeah, and, the funny fat guy has a long proud history, man. Well, and no, I think he's the first one. Yeah, no question about it. But I would say different because people names that are also mentioned are like John Candy, and it's like mm, I guess maybe like the funny yeah. fat guy hurt aspect, but a little less on that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just a really interesting guy, and the way he put things together, I think, is kind of unique. His his initial um, um, pairing. Um, with Mabel Norman, I thought was 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 a, a, a kind of an intense and interesting one because she's also this tragic figure um, mm-hmm. in in real life, and she um, also I think kind of foreshadows his uh, appreciation for um, funny women, which I didn't really see with Chaplin or anyone else. You know, right. with Chaplin, it's like um, there's always a beauty who comes in, and then you know, is this. Mm-hmm creates a context or opportunity for him to be either tragic or funny. But, but, um, even after he, he stopped pairing with Mabel Norman, Fatty was interested in women who could be kind of like Lucille Ballish hilarious. And in fact, yeah, he married one or two, as I recall. But yeah, his first wife was, was a comedian on the stage. And Mm -hmm. and so, uh, yeah. And, and so if if we look at the first one we, we wanted to get into, which is, um, a short, it's the shortest one. It's about 18 minutes. It's uh, Mabel and Fatty's Married Life from 1915. There is a slew of Mabel and Fatty films. They made 26 movies together after meeting between like 1913 and 1916 or or something like that. Um, They had a straight, I mean, I got to say, I mean, this is from just this one example, I would say they had a pretty, they had a really interesting sort of chemistry going on. No question about it. And just sort of a last note, I don't want to make this the Mabel Norman thing, but, you know, she had her own sort of tragedies and, and, you know, drug addiction and all this sort of stuff. But she was, um, she was had in a relationship with uh, with Max Sennett, who was a, a producer at the time, uh, and she caught him in bed with someone, and and uh, to make it up to her, he built her a, a, a little studio. Like here's a right. little, the, I guess it's the Kobe move, right? Here's the diamond ring, or here's the studio, um, and and she. Um, she she made that movie that we covered, Mickey, and and did her own thing. And I think yeah. had she not caught him, maybe there would have been a, a, a bigger relation, a film relationship between Fatty and and uh, Mabel Norman. Maybe, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, it was really interesting watching there. I mean, it was it was a real it was super short short. I mean, yeah. it was funny because it came in a package of being like thirty two minutes or something like that. It, just it turned it. out to be like three different versions of the same movie. Yeah. on the on the same splice, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was it was really interesting to watch a their chemistry. I think that's the best thing out of the movie. But then also, just sort of like the very casual uh, anti-immigrant uh, sentiment at the time that was specific to the time. I think was part of it too. Oh, you're it's talk- kind of funny to catch a little bit of that. 
Oh yeah, no question about it. I mean, yeah, the, the, the swarthy Italians and their, you know, yeah, who are uh, they're monkey grinders essentially. Of course, uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, what it, what what really struck me here is the Ricky Lucy relationship that that happened here because she is um, more often the focus of the funny than he is, although he's very funny, also. Um, mm-hmm. But she has a lot of like the Stan Laurel faces and like the yeah. the anxiety that makes her answer a telephone upside down um, and that type Pull of thing. Pull another wrong person. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the writing is sort of like I couldn't I couldn't understand at first in the first two minutes like what this has to do with their married life or what the situation is, except that a a monkey um, grinder's monkey has run away from him and that monkey yeah. will show up somewhere in the film later on. Yeah, I gotta say, let, let me put, let me let me interject really quickly. I thought one of the things that was really interesting about it is like any. Here's what I think: what separates Fanny Arbuckle and uh, in the in, in this category from say Chaplin is that Chaplin had funny and he had jokes, but he had a he had like a, a movie. Yeah, like the kid was a movie. I don't know what else to put. Oh, that. Yeah, these yeah. are jokes with visuals sort of added in. Like this, like again, these are like routines written. Um, but but it's not but they're not like you know even though they're shorts they're not incredibly satisfying movies unto themselves it's the gags that are coming out of the movies that's the whole point of them yeah but I would uh, say not to contradict think, you too much but I would say that's also true of Chaplin's shorts you know like if he's an immigrant on a boat or in a restaurant it's just a situation it's not until maybe he's that's given just the nature the of shorts at the yeah, time I'm not maybe yeah, I, I'm not I have to admit to not being very um, what do you call that fluent in those but also I think one of the one of the things is because they're like I said they're really really sort of written to get to jokes like most of these most of the titles from these movies are are, are seemingly very arbitrary to me oh yeah no (laughs) yeah no question about that yeah it's the yeah the title is just taken from the situation somehow um yeah i mean the the cops is that your chair that was my chair poor chair um, the, the cops themselves are sort of keystone-ish here. I guess there was never, I mean, maybe this would be satisfactory to today's movie watcher and in, in today's current climate, but there's not an, an unoafish cop to be found in any of these movies. They have upside, upside down mustaches and they're just sort of crawling all over each other. Um, and, and, and made fools of, but it's like, you know, her, her physicality and then his physicality and then the situations, you know, he's, that's why he reminds you so much of like uh, Cramden. It's like the hamana, 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 you know, like there's, there's always this sort of exasperation about what's happening to him and the way that he's taking it. Um, I mean, it's all in pantomime too, because there's zero sound of these things, particularly that first movie. There's not even any music to. I know. I put a little so Scott Joplin. It's all, it's pantomime, it. which is interesting, because it's more a more difficult medium to work in. We talked about this before, and it's always a weird choice because now that we have access to these sort of you know restored films, restored silent films, typically, of course, what that means is someone has to go back and, and insert the music, and either they're a purist and they insert either a copy of the old music or they reproduce what they think is the original music or they just give it to someone and decide to um, make a new soundtrack out of it. Oh, here's another one we did, Metropolis. I forgot about that. That was one where it, like, like it was done in the 80s, restored, and they had like a, um, a kind of goth <laughs> metal <laughs> soundtrack in it. I thought it was great, but it's not a, it's not a purist game in that sense. No. I love. I would love to go back and get a couple of Fanny Arbuckle shorts and then put over like you know some good '80s synth pop. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> we have Logan's Run, which we covered. Yeah. All right. Well, um, something truly dreadful like that. Absolutely. Um, okay. So the, the a more substantial short is 1919's Love, and again, right. the title is only taken from the fact that like some people are in love with some people or trying to hey. court some people or something like that. Yes, absolutely. No, exactly. Like I said, it's the arbitrariness of the uh, of the titles are almost breathtaking in a sense. Now he, but yeah, okay. He, so he, di- he, di- he directed this one. It was restored in 2005. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's the one I like the least of the ones we saw, um, even though there are things I like a lot about this one. Um, but I attribute it slightly to maybe too much of it being in his hands because um, there are all these great gags, but they just sort of go on a little too long. I really like the opening. <laughs> 
he's, like, like the uh, the trip down the well. Maybe? The trip yeah, down the well is is excruciating for like a twenty seven minute film. Eight people down there. <laughs> I mean, once they once they caught on to some sort of way of doing a special effect, like falling down a well, they were not going to let go of it. Apparently, but uh, it opens up with him as a sort of a baby Huey, and he's in this Econo Model Ford, which is basically a red wagon with like a a, a, a fan propelling it or something, and he's in a race with a man. And a man. Don't worry, I've seen a couple of those uh, driving up and down the street on bicycles. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are those old bicycles that the, with a gigantic wheel in the front and a tiny one in the back? I mean, what uh, an insane yeah, design! Remember, those are called something. I don't remember what they are. Mistakes. Velocipedes or some horse <laughs> like that. Awfulness. Pedometers. Oh, no, that's like, that actually but, is something. Oh, and, and and like like how long? Really, exactly how long and how many iterations of spanking somebody in the ass with a broom can you have? So I'm going to go with you on that. This is not the. Be- I guess this isn't really the best movie, and in some senses, it's a little kind of formulaic. I think. Well, they're all formulaic. I don't mind that. Even our long one is formulaic, but it's and and I like the brutality of it because the spanking people <laughs> with a broom of, uh, devolves into like putting nails in the broom. And, and kind of right, bro- which apparently go right up one guy's ass. Yeah, like, there's a little <laughs> straight bit of, up Main Street. There's a brutality there, and the guy playing the the suitor who's who's um, who has a sort of like a, a trust fund suitor um, mm-hmm. who's after the gal, the same gal that um, Fatty's after, and they have to get permission from the farm. Always a farm a farmhand father in jokes or silent films. Um, <laughs> that guy is a psychotic like um, mental case. I mean, his face is just like the face of Silence of the Lambs. It's murderously yeah. bad, um, and he's and that, super... and that was uh, Fatty's. I think Fatty's nephew. Oh, you're kidding me! You're yeah, the, kidding actor, me. the actor himself. Well, let's see if I can find the information here. Bear with me, Nickelberries. Huh? Uh, yeah, something Saint John. Uh, yeah, Al Saint. Oh, uh, yeah. Saint John. That's, that's right. His, uh, that's his. His nephew. He kind of mentioned uh, him. It, uh, it was in a shit ton of movies with Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. But there are other things. Oh, by the way, I think Fatty is. I had a little note here that that Fatty looks a tiny bit like Leonardo DiCaprio, like in a, on a bad day. I feel like. <laughs> but, Leonardo after after a long after no yeah. But there's too many B twelve shots or something. There's great action in here, and, and the woman here. You know, going back to what I was saying before about about Mabel Norman, and maybe he just wanted to, to keep that sort of relationship type thing going. The woman here who plays the object of his desire her pratfalls are fucking brilliant you know her she gets her head stuck in the second window hanging out the that side that was fucking great uh, did, i mean like, the, how does she how does she not die she i'm sure people did die i mean i mean the, <laughs> the whole story we're going to get into later about fatty in real life in san francisco that that whole trip was apparently based on on him burning his ass um in the in a film i think that we're yeah. going to talk about um, and so people did get hurt. The, the Three Stooges, there was one film, um, just a sort of side note here, the Three Stooges made a college football film in the 40s, and they got the script, and it was finally a script that they were like, no, we are not going to do this one. And they were like, come on, like, no. And, like, and for the first time, they had um, a stuntman come in and play the Stooges, and all the stuntmen ended up in the hospital because <laughs> they just kept grinding out like more brutal situations for the Stooges, for Fatty, Fatty Arbuckle. Well, weren't you the one? I think I, I want to say it was you who actually told me the story about like uh, during you know, like the, like the initial sort of move to Hollywood, and as Hollywood was sort of feeling its oats, they would like hire like homeless people to go do stunts for them. No, but I like that story. That's an interesting like, one. Literally, like we need somebody to jump off this cliff and we film it, and they couldn't get the stars to do it, so we literally <laughs> hire a homeless guy. But <laughs> just like hold a bottle over like at the base of the cliff, run to it, kiddo. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, kids, for instance. I mean, the, I mean, if they were weren't above putting kids in coal mines, I'm sure you know, little rascals yeah. all had terrible. The Hal Roach Studios were like a nightmare for children apparently so there's a there's a really interesting history with all of these things but but the goddamn um going back to the the point i was trying to make before about like how it's it's part him it's part his physicality and part like his his like you know befuddled face and all of that stuff but it's also the writing so it's like um at one point he decides like i guess give everyone the shits after he's bested by 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 the you know psycho suitor um, and 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 the father gives the psycho suit of the permission. So so the cook is making soup and he puts chunks of of soap in the soup to give them the shits. And the fa- I think there was I think there was like a wisdom about what soap did in food that has not been passed down to us. Passed down, very good, Tom. So to speak, I had no, I had no idea that that was. I feel like they make them sick or shit their pants. I, I was with you on that one, but I was like, man, I would never, I'd never have thought of that. Soap makes a, there's a, a lot of great. Um, 
our gang series that, that involve people eating soap and like talking and bubbles coming out. But in this case, the, the father finally, finally goes, there's soup in the soap and he's mad at the cook and he's, it, the, the title card comes up and it says, I wanted leeks, not lux. Just these little, kind of clever little things. Of course, you'd have to be a like total early nerd. product placement there. Yeah, I guess it's, it's only like funny to me. Soap. Because but it, I'd like to point out also that in the in the course of this comedy, uh, like Fatty's character does get the cook just fired with that little stunt. <laughs> it's kind of a dick move. Oh yeah, well, poor cook. Well, yeah, poor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Like, we'll, we'll get into how he treats uh, uh, people. <laughs> yeah. There's a sort of brutality though about it. That's what I'm saying. It's sort of like um, it, this is. 10 years or more before the Great Depression, but it's like good practice for, well, we've had a, we've had a great practice for mistreating people. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think we all kind of knew this, but I think it's an interesting, these are kind of good capsules to figure out exactly how brutal we were. Yeah. Like as a people, like this, like this, this, this guy was the most popular comedic actor of, of that time period. People flocked to the movie theaters to see these shorts by him and they laugh their asses off at things that would be at best uncomfortable for us uh, and sometimes completely inscrutable too. Like I'm sure that's a great thing about watching a silent film is I'm absolutely sure I'm missing about a third of the jokes at least. Yeah, possible. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to like go... Like Lux. I mean, maybe that was product placement. Maybe there's something very specific about that stuff. There's no fucking way we would have known that. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe that's, I'm just showing what a nerd I am, too, because why that's so funny to me. But it's like that time period, it was like Lux had, was the soap. It was like the ivory soap of the time. So, um, I guess. Oh, I, shit, you just outnerded me on that. Well, we'll, we'll play it, <laughs> Well, I, I was really interested, as all 10-year-olds are, in the Lux radio hour from the 1940s. Oh, so. <laughs> no shit. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. So, I guess that's one of those Okay. Yeah, I, I, maybe I'm just sort of asserting too much in there. I love his how he comes back in drag as the replacement cook and manages yes. to sort of trick himself into... Or trick Somehow the preacher. nobody noticed that the woman that's cooking for him looked exactly like the guy in the goofy fucking hat that they picked on. <laughs> These situations are brilliant. I, I liked it. I, this, yeah, this, I is, mean, this is Mrs. Doubtfire, Joe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but probably better. Uh, no, better, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Possibly yeah, better, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, anything else about love? Uh, well... Let's talk about love. No, um, no, I don't think so. Let's you alluded to that history. great, that great well scene, and it, it's it's the the most the least good part of the film. But it's like they can't let go of the gag of, of people continually falling down the well Dude, together. I'm sure people like pissed in their pants watching that. Like mm-hmm. again, that was that was cutting edge CGI. Yeah, it was that was the Death Star blowing up for for like nineteen uh, was it 1915 when that came out? 1919. It, Oh yeah, yeah. Get yeah, it yeah. right, Sorry, Tom. 1990, no, that's correct. Oh man, huh. I'm off all the way today. I'm revoking no, your yeah, luck I mean, privileges. But, but that was that must have been like fucking like well, like mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, but even, savages. even as a gag, never mind. Like, yeah, I can see the addiction to like the 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 special effects. I'm holding up air quotes here, but but um, even the gag is sort of like the idea that you try to rescue someone from a well, and then before you know, it, like eight people are caught down the well. It's a good gag. It's just sort of. You know, I don't know. <laughs> There's only so much you can do with it, and I guess you need yeah. to pad films back then or something like that. I, I'm gonna go like not only is there only so much you can do with that joke, I think they did all of it <laughs> in this well. movie. They covered every inch of that. Mother. Not until that fat child in Texas got caught in a well in the 1980s did I laugh. <laughs> I, I laughed so much at a at a person down a well. Anyway, was that, uh, was that <laughs> child fat, or are you just fat shaming some more? Moving on was to... Ba- uh, what was her name? Je- uh, little Jessica. Baby little Jessica. Was baby Jessica. Baby Jessica. Baby Jessica. The president even talked. Oh, we're all thinking about baby Jessica and the well. Okay, uh... <laughs> hey, James Cagney, president. <laughs> that was a great Reagan. Hi, you dirty rat. Baby Jessica, get out of that well, see? I'm not going to take any more from you, mug. All right, moving on. Uh, to Backstage, also backstage, 1919. Which sounds like a good porno. Yep. This is not um, uh, Keaton's debut, but he's still, you know, as I said, two years earlier he made his debut in, in Butcher Boy, but he's still he sort of guesting. He doesn't look like he could get much younger and actually be in a movie. <laughs> yeah, but still he's got that Fred Allen droll face that, that yeah. makes me really interested in, in knowing more about him. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, he I mean, he turned out to be a fucking genius, absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, I, I like the fact that, like, he's much younger 
uh, much less obvious than Fatty Arbuckle, but I think kind of held his own. That that's was I think the trick to their doing so many movies together. Well, it's also I mean he's the first gag we see is like uh, it's the like I'm going downstairs gag where people start squatting as they're going in you know behind a, a sort of item, so it's like you're you're apt to roll your eye at this like this hack, but I, it was all new at the time I guess. Um, right. I think the first gag I really liked in this one is the paintbrush where the kid he, he tries to hang a kid up on the wall who's who's been bothering him <laughs> and the kid eats the paintbrush and he discovers that that's edible like cream maybe he's been painting with cream or maybe you know who knows it's mm-hmm. some of the gags i like most about these times are gags that like it's not just that it's out of context and i don't understand it from two, from 2020 it's that i don't think there was ever an explanation there could be two or three absurd things happening i think i think i think i want to say that uh, like i, I I don't know where I heard this, and maybe I'm full of shit, but I think I, I heard at some point that uh, like old poster paste used to be made out of flour and water. Oh, okay. So, so basically, so. I think that's what they were going with, but uh, yeah, like, like a super sloppy, goosey version of that, and then sticking a kid to the wall, genius. Gene, yes. To your, yeah. po- to your point yeah, earlier about, about these things just being excuses, this one's just an excuse for like a cavalcade of like different characters, you know, like... The, the magician, mm. the floating guy, because it's all the idea. The strong that, man. Where the fuck did they get that moose? Oh, we'll get to him in a second. But but uh, but the idea being that like uh, Keaton and, and and Arbuckle are backstage workers, you know, for vaudeville or something, some equivalent. And so <coughs> we get the backstage stage skinny on all these people and their different skills. But then when finally when finally we do get the um, the strong man, the strong man arrives with his sweetie, and of course there's going to be a conflict immediately. Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. Because, because if for nothing, no other reason, the strong man is a is just an incredible tool to his assistant slash woman friend there. Yeah, his lady making her carry all of his weights <laughs> rather cartoonishly. Yeah, and that's one of those things too. It's like this one felt like it had a couple of moments where even for the time it was a bit of an easy laugh. Like, oh, she's just tossing out these two hundred pound weights, but she's a frail little lady. But there were yeah, other the, moments. The best joke too is the one where freaking Harold, uh, what's his name, uh, Keaton gets his his neck stuck under the weight oh yeah that's a great one and i think <laughs> that was a fucking when, great physical gag when they decide to electrify the barbells i was kind of howling there were definitely some laugh out loud moments um right. during uh, several of these films and the, and, the, and the fact that neither of them could lift the barbell but the night but the, but the uh, the assistant lady picked it up and just walked off of it that's what i was saying before it's sort of like yeah but you know some of them are kind of stale ideas but the hijinks that they get into and you know the arab dress which is like you know i mean there's also <laughs> Sort of, kind of, um, uh, Middle East face. Well, we're getting into that now, by the way. A little side note there's a lot of, um, discussion about, you know, HBO something, Prime or Max or whatever, took down, um, Gone with the Wind. Right. And you've mm-hmm. been following that. And then they put it back up with like a disclaimer about what's in it. So it's like, oh, well, I guess all the, the quote unquote problematic films are coming mm-hmm. home to roost. And I'm, I, I don't know about you. I'm not even saying that's you know, on its face a bad thing. It's just the, the slippery slope is very predictable. So that yesterday I noticed that um, there's a slight call. Um, to uh, take down Psycho because of its insensitive treatment of people with disabilities. Shut up. Mm -mm. Really? Go fuck yourself. Wow. Mm -mm. Okay. Well, I I gotta be honest. Like, I get it. Like, I think, you know, we should all be nicer to each other. I think Gone with the Wind, I can get where that could really sort of get under people's skin a little bit. It doesn't doesn't for me simply because, (laughs) because, no, just the age we are, dude. Sorry. What do you mean the age we are? Oh, because well, of you and I, you and I are, uh, what I'm fifty. You're what fifty three or something like that, and uh, uh-huh. we just uh, we just grew up in a time when people were a little more comfortable uh, having knowing about fucked up opinions about race. And so yeah, I, I don't think that's any kind of a surprise. Uh, whereas that's that's really uh, problematic. Uh, I hate that uh, for uh, for uh, sort of the younger generation out right now. So I think you know. Getting rid of it is that's ridiculous, but you know, maybe putting a sufficient warning into it. Well, I mean, beginning, I, guess. It's, I don't know. It's kind of interesting because we're taking down statues now, right? Of, con- yeah. I mean, we've been talking about that for a while, and I actually think that is not a bad idea because a statue, um, 
it, here's here's been my thinking about the statues. It's like a statue is a, kind of a celebration of somebody. I don't I don't I don't know any other context. So so like taking the statue out, putting the statue in a museum where it's recontextualized as like, look, here's the historical thing. Like you know, I'm I'm okay with that. Um, I'm even slightly okay with them throwing those statues in the river. You know, I, I get I get that more. But it seems to me there's there's always more context with these films. And for instance, um, is is Gone with the uh, Gone with the Wind a film that is being racist with let's say Mammy right the the, the Butterfly McQueen, um, or is it um, showing accurately? the racism of the time. Vivian Lee sort of treating every quote unquote pickaninny on the plantation the way she does seems to me accurate to a character and a time in our history. Whereas one of my favorite films that my guilty pleasure all through the night um, has it's you clear want your belt to fall down. Yeah. The, the way that Humphrey Bogart jokes with his black, you know, man servant or whatever you want to call him, Butler, um, that's not showing something. That's just making a joke out of that uh, that guy's skin, right? Yeah. And, I, and even though I love the film, it's like those areas make me kind of cringe. Like, yeah, maybe they could just you know accidentally drop out of the film or something. Um, so it's like there's this conversation to be had. But um, anyway, I'm sorry that it took us down this road. But it seems like it's part of this yeah. conversation with Fanny Arbuckle because you know I see this in this next film, which is the big film Leap Year, 1921, and maybe it's time for us to stop. And discuss Mr. Fatty Arbuckle. Well, it's the, uh, the 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 tragedy that claimed his fucking career. How about that? Be careful, Fatty. That Coke bottle's not made of tempered glass. Twenty-two skidoo. Even when you consider that that Coke bottle was bullshit, that didn't happen. Yeah, totally. It's all bullshit. But but but. but. God damn, what a hell of a story. <laughs> well, that's the thing I remember your father telling me, as you would tell an eight-year-old, uh, to check out this section of Hollywood Babylon where Fatty Arbuckle had raped a woman with a Coke bottle. And man, when you're done reading that, you want to watch a Disney movie? But, okay. uh, but, but yeah, so there's this, you know, I mentioned before that, that um, I think it was during the film we're going to talk about, Leap Year, um, which was made in 1921, but not released until, ni- until 1924 for the reasons we're going to talk about. And only released overseas. It wasn't released in America until 81. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Because of the scandal that we're about to talk about here. Yeah, it's so, an yeah. interesting one because the scandal also has this other context from tw- from 2020. And that's, that's that... Um, I mean, clearly this is kind of a potential story of the Me Too variety, shall we say, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's not just something that happens, there's about who do you believe. And and Fatty goes up with a couple of his friends because he's had this injury, I think making leap year to his ass. He wants to take some time off, return to kind of the scene of the crime, San Francisco, because that's where he had started as a kid. Yeah. Um, and he, he goes to the Sir, the Sir Francis Drake um, Hotel, I think. St. Francis, brother. What did I say? Sir Francis Drake. Oh, St. Francis Drake. Yeah, they're, they're literally across the street from each other. Oh, the so Sir that. Francis, the St. Francis, two hotels. Right. Okay, sorry. So so he goes to the St. Francis Hotel. And yeah. I think it's like the room 220, 221, 222. He's going to get... They, they, yeah, they rented out three different rooms. One of them's going to be purely a party room. But I think what, okay. what ha- ends up happening ends up being described to his room anyway. And that's yeah. that that um, this woman Virginia Rappe, um, mm-hmm. a I know you got to be careful. When I first read that, I'm like, that's her name, Virginia Rape. Yeah, come on, Jesus Christ. Um, a little on the nose, baby. She she had had this sort of history, and I think it is worth talking about, right? And that's yeah. that the history had been like she's kind of this crazy partier. She has bad health because of her mm-hmm. essentially her alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, including damage to her bladder. Um, and that she goes up there yeah, with yeah, a f- like a like a big fucking rotten bladder, and and any and alcohol consumption at her level had, been, had by this point become like like physically painful and kind of legendary. Uh, in that in that sense, and she goes out there with a friend who's also like, and these are things you know. There are authors who who've revisited this case, and it's like they were both essentially prostitutes. And it's like there's this weird line because on the one hand, what the fuck does that matter if if Fatty Arbuckle did something? On the other hand, there's a little bit of like the history because what happens is. Um, you can tell the, the, the meat of the story, but just I'm giving some context here. Um, 
she already has problems at the hotel, Virginia Rappé, and a doctor is summoned who basically says, ah, she's just been drinking too much. Let me give her some morphine. So she kind of marinates around this sort of the outskirts of this party for a while, and then then her bladder, her bladder uh, basically exploded, and she died of a she she died of internal uh, problems. But, problems. But, but not a doctor. Not a doctor. She's taken to the hospital, and mm-hmm. her 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 good friend, her buddy there. Um, whose name I'm forgetting now. Maybe a Madame... Uh, oh, Delmont. Delmont. Oh, Bambina Delmont. What a fucking name, by the way. Tell, yeah. tell so the... She's supposedly a, like, a, like a brothel run owner as well. I mean, she's... she's... She's definitely sort of an undergroundy thing, but she starts the uh, she starts the rumor that eventually sort of we we you and I got secondhand through the Hollywood Babylon movie. Yeah, which is that he had book. Yeah, that he had raped her. Yeah, he had raped her. Uh, although it, uh, that he had raped her, and then uh, it, it was like literally a game of t- uh, telephone. Yeah, right, 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 right. As he came out with the the whole rape allegation. And then somebody else came up with the he raped her with uh, with an icicle, and then it got to a newspaper reporter, and by yep. that time it was a coke bottle. Right, and then at some point it became champagne because yeah, alcohol. But the the reason he was brought in because the doctors ignored what she said, and then she tells the cops, and the reason that the cops bring him in is is basically his weight because they make the assumption that if he had raped her and had been that sort of forceful, that his weight had been what ruptured her bladder. They were scientists right. back then. It was like CSI, is what I'm saying. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but it also, But it also was uh, had a lot to do. I mean, like a DA who was trying to make a name for himself. Um, the Volstead Act, you know, uh, Prohibition yep. was had just started. I mean, like I said, it was, it was a very hyper-moralistic time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, the, he was the scapegoat. He was the sacrificial lamb for the Hollywood scene that was freaking out the carry nations of our country at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. And he, he, in the film we're going to talk about, there's even sort of like, which is made before this event, um, mm-hmm. just not released because of the event, um, there's almost a sort of like allusion to that. In fact, this film is very meta. That's one of the things I find very interesting about the film we're going to talk about. But but yeah, so he, he basically, the, um, Hayes, who was a censor, uh, sort of become the Hayes Code later on, yeah. um, wouldn't allow this. Well, this is, a, this, is a, this is a huge Lego in the building blocks of the Hayes Code later on, for sure. Yeah, because you can talk about not the content of the film, but the character of those who made the film as part of it. Right. And to some degree, yeah. we're still having these conversations with like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski or, or people like that, right? I mean, aren't right. we like, you know, it's uh should this be sort of uh, discounted because of the creator, um, in a way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So the more content of it, uh, yeah, no, and it just be, and it was just, it was a three ring fucking circus. I mean, it was really sort of a kangaroo thing. There was ultimately three trials. First one came in as a mistrial, uh, heavily skewed towards uh, uh, not guilty. Uh, second yeah. one came in uh, because the because his defense attorney had taken a slightly different tack for it. The second trial. Uh, was uh, skewed. It was another mistrial, but it was skewed towards possibly, get, you know, being guilty. Mm-hmm. And then the third one was just a shutout. I think it took four minutes for the jury to come back with not guilty. Yeah. And they even wrote an apology uh, to uh, even wrote like they, they basically wrote out an apology for him, saying that they were sorry that he had been put through this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I just want to take a second out just for my personal uh, love affair. My uh, w- one of my heroes, literally speaking, Dashiell Hammett, worked at the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Yep. and may or may not have been part of the team together uh, working for the defense here. Oh, okay. Not cool. So, but yeah. yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, he was completely exonerated. The, the jury apologized, but it didn't matter. It was, yeah. he, he was forever a persona au gratin. Well, that is, yeah, very good. Um, well, that is um, also like, the, and the parallel back to Mabel Norman comes because they're both in, in separate free falls during the 20s. Um, this film, as you said, doesn't get released until 1925, 1924, and then only then in Europe. Um, he and and then the, the, in classic Fatty Arbuckle style, he dies in 1933 on the mm-hmm. day he signs a contract to return the films. <laughs> yeah, like like his big rehab. I mean, before that, he had directed a couple of movies under a uh, under a pseudonym. Yeah. But yeah, that was his. That was his. His big comeback right there, and ah, died the day of. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking about Leap Year, which is 1921 or 1924, depending on how you want to count it. It's the last yeah, let's film. Let's go 21. Yeah, I think so, too. 1921. It's the last one he makes before the scandal breaks and on September yeah. 5th of that year. Um, 
you know, he's again this hopeless character. He's the uh, the, the ne'er do well, um, kind of shiftless <laughs> nephew of of, uh, of a wealthy man. Um, yeah. he, and he has these three qualities: is a hopeless flirt, who's constantly misunderstood dis- despite his flirting. <laughs> Um, he has a crazy anxiety disorder that's sort of triggered through events that's only calmed by his drinking water. Water, water. I, it's the weirdest. Uh, no, no, let me let me let me ask you this, Joe: Is it water or is it look up yeah. water? Yeah, that helped our, our listening audience a lot. But but yeah, do you mean? No, um, I'm sure, like I, there, there, it's left open to my imagination that maybe it was alcohol. Nah, I don't even think that was part of the gag. I think it makes it funnier that it's water in a way. Agreed. Agreed. So, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was left on the table. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, freaking, it was interesting. And at the same time, I, li- I like that this was, um, yeah, like everything you're seeing is there. I like that the resolution was damn near Dickensian in a sense, where everything just sort of like falls like cards into a, into a shuffled deck. Yeah. Yeah, I was almost thinking it, to me, it reminded me more of, I think, if, I'm, if I have the phrase right, like the... Um, comedy of manners would, would they always end up these English comedies that always mm. end up with like the four people who are in distress late in the third act all of a sudden each separately find their okay. own sort of resolution but but I like right. I okay. like your description as well yeah he, he's put in this mess where it's like somehow multiple women think he's he's proposing to them right multiple women think he wants to marry him and uh, they're they're their various relatives show up in a shotgunny sort of way to force the issue. But he's, <laughs> at the he's same time. truly in love with one woman, a nurse, who um, thinks that he's a, a hopeless flirt, which in a way he is. And and so he really only wants the one who's ignoring him. And then the three women. I mean, that's kind of a remarkable suspension of disbelief that these three women immediately fall in love with him. In a way. Yes. Right, right, right. Well, you know, actually, just just to go with our remark, remarkable suspension of disbelief, I, you know, we missed something uh, when we were talking about um, uh, the backstage, yeah. which is one of one of Buster Keaton's great uh, gags was used in this one. What is it? The gag uh, where the uh, where the building falls over. Oh but yeah. He's standing right in the window hole. They did this. They did that in there. So in in backstage. Yeah, thanks. I'm sorry. I just I just wanted to bring that up. Oh that, no, that's that, fair. That's something I'd wanted to talk about. And I just I totally forgot. But no. Yeah, no. It's just it's really it's uh, yeah. This is one of those like I don't know. They, they didn't do memento back then, right? Everything kind of just folds in and and it, it comes out right in the end in the in movies from this time period. Yeah, this film has a great meta quality that I like because the title cards will tell us like, let me introduce this character, and then it'll it'll say like in parentheses who the actress is. And then it'll say below that, like, we'll be seeing more of her in 10 minutes. You know, it's, it's sort of like, huh, what an interesting observation. And the film itself, by the way, ends, you know, I don't want to move ahead too much, but it does end by Fatty basically saying to the woman, let's have a fade out to this film. And then the film yeah, just sort yeah, of yeah, fades that out. That was fucking great, man. That was, I, have to say, I think that was my second... Interesting. I think my two favorite jokes in all of the movies we saw today were, were off the title cards. That was one of them. And then I don't remember which movie it was, but it's something about like uh, this uh, person X is strong as a goat. Stand down, win. Yeah. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I think it's so, so different from Chaplin. There's a reliance, and of course, I think just just from my I don't know about you, but my my personality, I kind of favor that there's more of a reliance on the writing because it, it says that it's not just about you being naturally funny or you know Chris Farley right. style in a moment, but there's a, there's a a relationship between you being a physical comedian and this this piece of writing and, and wit that's that's out yeah. there. I like but that. that end, but that ending joke is fucking is is wonderful. That that is really a nice piece there. Yeah. Let's have a fade out. <laughs> there's so much movement and confusion in this movie. It's really done, you know, it's kind of a, a precursor to, to Three's Company in a way, I guess. Mm. Sort of misunderstandings and people exiting doors and entering doors at just the right time. Yeah, um, sure. There's a great, a great midget slash black blackface joke that he pulls on the uh, the golf course, of course, where he just picks just, up a black kid and throws him in his golf bag and runs away with him. <laughs> uh, what do you? I guess it was a, a dearth of jokes. That, uh, his golf club was like this enormous wooden golf club. 
Yeah. Like, just, just how terrible golf technology was back in the day. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. But these great little lines and sarcasm and, you know, um, the guy who's cheating on his wife and is like, I'm like, I'm a fa- I'm like a father to her. Oh, she looks run down. She does look bad, doesn't she? And then the camera pans to the most beautiful looking woman you've ever seen. Um, it's constant, just constant little ironies that I, I liked in this film a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fun. You want to warn him as it's going on. Careful, fatty. Don't step on her bladder. Have a Coke and not a smile. And not a smile. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where, like, watching these, all of these things, uh, and, then, and then I'm looking at this list over here of his damn filmography. Like, there's so many. Again, what we picked was as much as anything is random and, and, and what's available on the internet, but yeah. there's so freaking many movies. Yeah, he's got a ton of movies. And, and then just cut short. And, yeah. and basically in 1921, with, with scattered sort of, you know, gifts given to him, essentially, just as, as it was with Mabel Norman uh, yeah. throughout the 20s and this sort of this tragic life. And, and it's weird because I think to bring him up is sort of like, you know, we're at, this, we're at this age where it's like, you know, all these opinions out there, believe women, you know, and it's it's like yeah. one, of the fir- one of the first examples you want to bring up is like, yeah, this guy was really fucked over by, by this situation. And, and yeah, how, yeah. How, how early Hollywood and Scandal, how they were married as concepts. Mm-hmm. That we, we need to sort of knock down these, these idols as, as quickly as we put them up. Yeah, and, you know, it was like, it's, it's interesting because the, the, this, hmm, I guess feminism is always going to be sort of a bit of a mixed bag in some senses. Like, so this was the dawning of the time period where women had just gotten the, had gotten the work and like got the vote, right? Like, right, right around this time period. I think it was 1920 or thereabouts. Uh, the women had gotten the vote. And so there was this sensitivity towards women about as, as people who, as, as voters now. But at the same time, the, the we need to defend this helpless, uh, you know, you know, painting, uh, Miss. How do you say it again? Who? I don't know what you're talking about. How do I say what again? Never mind, Jess. Oh, sorry, I Why just do didn't... I bring you along? <laughs> no, uh, I don't know the reference you're making. You hadn't made it yet. Oh no, I'm just saying. But but at the same time, like they, so, they painted this woman who died in the hotel. Oh, Rappé, uh, Rappé, yeah, Virginia Rappé. I, it's one of those names where I don't remember it exactly, and I don't want to fuck it up, right? Right. So, um, so Miss Rappé, uh, at the same time, like she kind of kind of got painted as this sort of innocent little victim who got caught up in this situation. Yeah. So in that sense, it's not very feminist at all. So you see, like it, I don't know, it's just it's, it's just a shitty time period, and he's the guy who took the act. Well, I don't think it's her fault either. I think it's that friend of no, hers. No, it's not. And she didn't even say it. I mean, she was dead. She didn't say he raped her. That was never That was never her They rarely do after they die. But What's that? They rarely do after they die. But the, the friend, apparently there had been some sort of um, evidence produced that she had in a letter of plans to um, blackmail Fatty. Right. Which, by the way, was a poor execution if she goes immediately to the police and tells them that. Unless there was some interaction we don't know. Oh, the mystery behind all of this, Tommy. It's it's uh, almost as fascinating as... a time machine, my friend. Go back uh, and help uh, Dashiell Hammett solve it all. You would love that, wouldn't you? I fucking would, dude. <laughs> it's not a joke. All righty. Um... Okay, well, you, uh, you know what we should remind people to do is to become Patreon subscribers, Tommy. And for a mere $5 a month, they can have access to 40-plus, I think, Patreon-only episodes available to subscribers. They can also rate and review us on iTunes or drop a comment uh, at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. You have some stuff, don't you, Tommy? Yeah, come check me out at tomsmithcomedy.com. Be a friend. All right. Good talking, everybody. (laughs) Likewise, man. Good work. Pow, zoom.